Good morning, church. Thank you, Jeff, for that. Um, my prayer is that we would be a generation that would truly seek God's face, truly seek God's glory, and truly seek His righteousness and honor Him with our lives each and every day. Uh, welcome back. Uh, good to have everyone here. Um, glad you're here and uh, glad that we are back. It was a blessing to be able to preach a series with uh, Pastor Stephen and Pastor Rick. Continue to pray for them and encourage them as they uh, pick back up as well. Um, This morning, we have a message that um, I announced last week that is uh, one that is not typically uh, a normal message that I I do, uh, let alone a message that I have done before. But with the... um, with all the different things that are going on in the different climate of our current, um, not only in our communities, um, in our culture, but also um, that's going on in our nation, uh, right now is seems uh, better than ever or a, uh, a time more than ever to be able to preach on a message such as this. One of the things that um, I have not done before is really preached on anything political. I try to always point you guys to the Bible, um, and I hope that I, and pray that I do that this morning as well. Um, but with the voting going on and the November 3rd coming up on the election, um, I want to give a healthy, godly, biblical perspective on what it looks like for us as Christians in times such as these um, I've been encouraged by multiple pastors that I um, thoroughly look up to that have been in the ministry for countless number of years, um, and uh, they've had a lot of messages uh, in this realm as well um, leading up to this point. Honestly, I wish I would have been able to preach this message about a week ago, um, but we had a schedule that we were keeping to, and I'm able to bring this message to you this morning. I've been praying on this for many weeks, um, something that um, has been heavy on my heart, and uh, I, I hope you en- are encouraged by it, um, you are challenged by it, and uh, that you are also um, pointed to God's Word uh, in and through all of this. And so, with that being said, um, my question this morning is, have you ever been labeled? Have you ever been labeled? One of the things that I've noticed, especially over the past six to 12 months, is labeling people is something that is becoming more and more of a norm, more and more of a norm. Many years ago, I started preaching on identity. What is your identity? What do you identify as? Are you Hispanic? Are you a female? Male, are you conservative? Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you a liberal? Are you a progressive? Are you rich, poor, middle class, immigrant? What label do you take on? One of the things that I've noticed over time, um, spanning over... I don't know, the 17, 18 years of ministry that I've been doing, uh, a lot of people ask me these different questions. One of the the questions that I 
was commonly asked is, what are your political views? And I would say biblical. Like, well, that doesn't make sense. And I said, well, then are you a Christian? Because if you're a Christian, it would make sense. One of the things I challenge everyone here today is if you hold any of those identities, then you have the wrong view as a Christian. Because first and foremost, we are all believers. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you have a true saving faith in him and in him alone, you are not Hispanic, you are not female, you are not male, you are not liberal, you are not progressive, you are not conservative, you are not Republican, you are not pink, orange, yellow, purple, any of these things. You are Christian. That is your identity. And if it's not, then I challenge you to check where you place your faith in, your hope, your identity as a believer in Christ. For me, this is something that I, I hold very close to my heart. And why? Because growing up, I saw a lot of religious things. I saw a lot of things that didn't make sense to me. Why would families I go stay with, and they said, well, if you stay at our house, you have to go to church. And I would go to church with them, didn't care, wasn't any importance to me whatsoever. But then the way that they lived at home didn't reflect anything of what they heard at church on that Sunday. Being a hypocrite, was something that kept me away from God for many, many years. Being a hypocrite is what turned me off from Christianity for many, many years. And so when I became a Christian, when I gave my life to God, when God saved me and pulled me out of the darkness, out of my sin, that's one of the things I continue to hold true today. I have to live out God's word. As imperfect as I am, I have to live out God's word. I cannot be a hypocrite. Don't get me wrong. Is there times that I am a hypocrite? Absolutely. Is there times that I preach messages and I'm convicted of the way of the choices that I make and the things that I do in my life? Absolutely. But those convictions come with action. And that action is repentance. Being a hypocrite is something that strikes me very deeply because it's the very thing that kept me away from God for so much. So as believers, the best thing we can do is not be hypocrites, but be faithful to God's word. Not with the expectation of perfection, not with the expectation of never sinning, not with the expectation of of never failing, but with the expectation of God's grace and understanding what Christ has done on the cross. Therefore, giving us our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. So when people ask me, what are my political views, and I tell them biblical, it gives me an opportunity to witness to them. Because to me, God's word is very clear on many things that have to do with our culture, our society, 
our way of life, right and wrong, righteousness. The Bible is very clear. So my prayer this morning, my hope, my faith, all being in the Lord, is that we would be able to take this time and to put aside your emotions, to put aside your experiences, to put aside uh, favoritism, to put all these things aside and say, you know what, God, what does your word say? Speak to me. Help me understand. Because you know what, if we approach this by thinking we have it all figured out, then you're not teachable. And if you're not teachable, then that's another area that we need to work on. Because we must be teachable as God's chosen people. We must allow the Holy Spirit to continue. Why? Because if we're not teachable, then the sanctification process has ceased. We no longer are allowing God to shape and mold us to be the image that he's called us and created us to be in Christ Jesus. So this morning, my prayer is that we would be able to put all these things aside and listen to God's word. See what God has to say to us. No matter where you are this morning, allow God's word to penetrate your heart and your mind. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. The only thing I have to say, Lord God, is we give this time to you. May this time and may these words be of you and for you and nothing else. Remove any fingerprints from them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to Matthew 22. This is our text this morning. Our title is Dual Citizenship. Dual Citizenship. Matthew 22, 15 to 22. Please follow along as I read God's word. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Or not. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. We're going to start with verses 15, 16 and 17. It says here, then the Pharisees went and plotted and how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, right? 
along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearance. Okay, verse 17. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What we need to understand what's going on here, many of us already know this, is that the Pharisees continuously, constantly trying to get to, uh, to form some entrapment so they can get rid of Jesus. They didn't like what he was saying. He was going against the, the Jewish culture, right? Even though Jesus was a Jew, right? Even though he was there to preach the gospel and to help them understand, it wasn't about all these laws and all these things and pointing out their flaws and their religiosity, their legalism. And they were continuing to try to entrap him. Now, the interesting thing here is who partnered with them? The Herodians. Okay? Now, here it says, and the Herodians went with them, right? And one thing we need to understand who the Herodians are before we move forward is this. They were also Jews. Okay? Try to contextualize this as I explain who the Herodians are. Okay? They were the Jews. They were also Jewish. Okay? So as they, them being also Jewish, they did not like the Pharisees. They did not get along at all. Why was that? They were part of the religious group of the Jewish people. Why did they not get along? Well, the Herodians took on this role to be advocates, to have a political position with the Roman Empire. So they sided with the Roman Empire. So as they sided with the Roman Empire, they basically said, how can we support you? How can we lift you up? How can we do your deeds, so to speak, amongst our people? They took a very political stance. Their slogan, their, their, their saying for the Herodians was this, peace at any price. Peace at any price. That meant killing Jesus, peace at any price. That meant rioting, peace at any price. If that meant causing disturbances, if that meant going and arresting people in their homes, peace at any price. Why do I say those things? Because the Herodians were this entity that were there to basically silence the Jewish people because ultimately the land that they lived in was under Roman law, okay, under Roman rule. Pharisees didn't like this, right? These are the religious people. They needed to adhere to God's laws, God's rule, right? But then the Roman rule suppressed that. So the Herodians separated from the Pharisees and the Jewish, right, people to partner with the Roman government and to do their dirty deeds in a sense from this standpoint. And they pulled a lot of people with them. They are actively um, supported by the Roman government. Um, they favored in any changes that were needed. So if it was something that uh, the Roman government felt necessary to, to push upon, especially the religious groups of the time, but the people of the land to keep law and order, right? This was a dictatorship. Caesar was in control. You did what he said or he killed you. 
right? So this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to entrap Jesus. So Herodians did not like the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not like the Herodians because the Pharisees felt the Herodians were sellouts. The simple idea of being under Roman rule, Roman law, right, offended and angered the Pharisees. A lot of this we need to understand as we look at the gospel and the things that happened to Jesus because these two entities essentially came together basically why? Because their hatred of Jesus brought them together. We need to take this guy out. He's saying all this stuff. We don't like it. It's threatening our way of life. Peace at any price. Sound familiar? Can we contextualize that? Contextualize, I mean, can we, can we comprehend that in a way that we see how that is going on today? Jesus continues to preach the word and the Pharisees' ongoing effort to, to silence him, to get rid of him, brought them to partner with a sellout group being ran by Caesar's rule, Roman rule. They were not friends, but at this point, they were willing to work together because of how much hatred they had. Something that we need to understand in and through this, it's amazing how sin, how Satan will do whatever's necessary to go against God's will. To go against God's will. To me, this is a, an eye-opening experience, not experience, but an eye-opening understanding of information of what's going on here at this point. So they began saying several nice things about Jesus. And of all the commentaries that I've looked at, all the studying that I've done, I was like, okay, what the Pharisees and Herodians said, were they just being mean? Were they just poking fun at him? Or they went with sincerity and to a certain extent, okay? It was still condescending, right? Okay, why? Because we see Jesus' response to them. But what do they say? I find it very interesting. It says, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher. Okay, so they acknowledge him as teacher. We know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. So it's like, okay, we know you're a truthful person. You're honest. And we know you teach the way of God truthfully. So they couldn't attack him on that. He was true to God's word. Why? Because he's God. It's Jesus. He was honest. He's truthful. They couldn't get him on anything like that. So they're going to try to get him on this. Then what did they say? And you don't care about anyone's opinion. And you wonder where I get that from when I say, hey, I don't care about your opinion. I don't care about, well, I feel this way. I want to know what God's word says. Jesus is the same thing. Well, Jesus, I feel like I need to go bury my father before I can come follow you. He's like, 
Let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Jesus, over and over and over again, no matter what situation he's in, he doesn't look at the person's emotions and dictate how he talks to them based on their emotions. He looks at their heart and says, you are a lost person. This is how I need to speak to you. This is what I need to speak into your life. This is the light that I need to shine in the darkness into your life. I don't care if your little girl's dying. I care, but that's not what I'm after. Yeah, I understand so-and-so is this, so-and-so is that. You were born blind. Did Jesus ever come up and say, oh, poor you. Life must be so hard. No. Jesus always looked at the heart. Jesus always taught truth. And these, even the Pharisees and the Heridians knew this. That you, you don't care about people's opinions. And then he goes on and says, you don't care how people look. The thing is, is during this time, hierarchy was a big deal. How people dressed, how they looked, the numbers of tassels they had on their robes, all these different things meant something, but to Jesus meant nothing. This is why they gave him a hard time about meeting with tax collectors. This is why Jesus met with tax collectors and drunkards and prostitutes. And he met with all these people. It didn't matter their status. It didn't matter what they look like. It didn't matter if they were a king or a governor, any of these things. It meant nothing to him. What meant everything to him was his purpose, was the gospel, was the truth. So we see this. It says, you are not swayed by appearances. So he gives all these, they give all these compliments, all these recognitions to Jesus, right? But Jesus, what? He saw the heart. He wasn't flattered by that. He wasn't flattered at all. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The point here is that these Pharisees and Heridians came to him saying, okay, let's boast him up, right, in the fact that he doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care how they dress. He's just going to say it. And they wanted him to say, no, Caesar's a bad dude. We don't give anything to him. But apparently they weren't paying attention to all of his teachings prior. We have to understand Jesus spoke and treated everyone equally according to where they were at the foot of the cross. Whether they were lost or they were not. Either they thought they were religious or they were not. Constantly approach them, talk to them, preach to them all the same. So they finally thought that they had trapped Jesus. They thought they had, they had a devise this clever question with no clear answer, right? Probably the Pharisees couldn't even answer themselves. And they thought they had, they had entrapped him into this, and they were like, okay, we finally got him. That'd be an interesting study going throughout Scripture and seeing throughout the Gospels how many times, right, people tried to entrap Jesus and trick him into different things. 
but they didn't understand who they were dealing with. And why is this? Why did they feel this way? They had finally got him and they were going to take care of him through this question. Well, if Jesus answered that it was right to pay taxes to Caesar, he would be siding with the Romans. He would lose all credibility with the Pharisees and the Jewish people. Like, wow, how could he side with the Romans? He's like one of the Herodians, a traitor, out for his own gain. But if Jesus said, Taxes should not be paid to Rome. He could be accused of being a rebel, um, opposing the authority of Rome, opposing Caesar, right? So they felt that they had kind of trapped him in a, between a rock and a hard place. But obviously, they didn't listen to their own words. Jesus, you don't care about anyone's opinion. You don't care about how people are dressed. You are not swayed. Wow, did they even realize the words that they were saying and who they were honestly dealing with? I think after this encounter, they they did, and we'll see in verse 22. But up to this point, the Pharisees and the Herodians felt that they had an upper hand on Jesus. But then we approach verse 18 and verse 19. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. So, immediately, he insults them. They're like, oh, you're this great teacher. You tell the truth, and you teach truthful things about God. You don't let anyone sway you. You stay true. Oh, great, merciful Jesus, right? Best teacher in the world. What do you say about this? And he responds, wow, thank you for your compliments. They're so encouraging. They make me feel so warm and fuzzy. No, Jesus says, you hypocrites. In our current culture, in our time that we live in right now, do we truly understand how Jesus spoke to people? Do we get it? Do we get how much honesty and truth and righteousness just flows out of him constantly? On how much his word should be impacting us in the same way? That our, 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 our tendency is... I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to upset anybody. I'm afraid to say I'm a Christian. I'm afraid I believe in these things. I'm afraid to stand for these things. Why? Because people might not like me. Wow, just like Jesus, right? No. Those that even came and were trying to, to suck up to him and, and to boast in him and to, you know, even though they were trying to entrap him, you're a hypocrite. You don't care. The religious people at the time that thought they were all high and mighty. You guys are corpses. You guys don't get it. Thing is, we need to stop looking down on those that we want to thank as Jesus freaks or holier than now people or people that we feel that are just 
out there saying all these things or whatever and be honest. We look down on those people. We criticize those people. Why? Because they convict us by the way that they're living their lives and the stand that they're making for Jesus. Why? Because you know deep down in your heart you should be doing the same thing. Jesus sees right through them and he calls them out. You hypocrites. If you think so highly of me, Jesus, you know, this is, this is why he's saying this because if you think so highly of me and you respect me, then why are you putting me to the test? Why are you trying to trick me? He calls them out. He exposes them immediately. A lot of times in our own lives, Jesus is trying to do the same thing through the convictions that he gives us through the Holy Spirit and his word. These convictions we try to suppress, we try to silence Because if we don't act on those convictions, then we're suppressing those and silencing those. And ultimately, we're silencing and suppressing God. This is one of the reasons why I constantly say, look, I always want to stop and listen for God. What is God trying to tell me? How is God trying to direct me? And typically what I say is, I don't want to be stomping out bushes and running away from hungry whales. Okay? a reference to to Jonah, and a reference to Moses. Because God tries to speak to us in so many different ways. But what we do is we suppress it. Why? Because we're looking out here at the world and we allow the world to dictate what we believe and how we feel and what we should do and how we should think and all these things. And we're not looking into God's word and allowing that to push the world out of us and allow us to live for him. Is your identity in Christ? Do you rely on Scripture? See, the thing is, they're not the first nor the last to try to trick Jesus. Turn me to Luke chapter 4. A lot of us know this, but I'm I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to jump to verse 12. Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 4, verse 12. And this is Jesus in the desert and the temptation by Satan. And it comes towards this end and it says, And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the appointed time. We need to stop putting God to the test. The more we put God to the test, the less faith that we have in him. Well, God, if you do this, or God, if you do that, or God, if you do this, and it shouldn't be that way at all. It's like, Lord, my faith is in you. You are going to provide. You are going to take care of. It might not be according to my will, but I submit to your will. See, God knows best. And the thing is, for some reason, in our, in our little tiny understanding, in our little tiny minds that we have, we think that we can trick God. We think we can go into Scripture and we can manipulate what Scripture says. And like, okay, this is, this is what it's saying in this little part here. And we can pull that out and say, okay, this justifies my feelings. 
This justifies my, my actions. And the thing is, it doesn't justify anything apart from God. The thing is, we need to understand, we cannot trick God. We cannot hide from God. There's no reasoning or logic that we can apply apart from His Scripture. The idea of the devil made me do it, or you know what? Maybe God kind of got it wrong here, or He didn't realize we would be in the current situation that we're in. Lies. Heresy. Falsehood. Jesus then asked them to show him a coin, a denarius. A denarius is a silver coin. Basically, it's a full day's wage. And this coin is the one that is used for the taxes, for them to pay taxes uh, to the Roman government. Now, we have to understand the Pharisees, the Jewish people, Again, they, they didn't like being under Roman rule, Roman law. And this uh, offended them. This was suppression to them. They didn't like it okay, at all. And so he goes, go get a coin, right? Go get it. And then on this coin is an image and a name, ultimately reminding the Pharisees of whose rule they are truly under. And as, they, as Jesus told them to do this, told them to go and get it, they had no choice but to give them the answer. It seemed like such a simple question. Let's go back to our text in Matthew. And it says, verse 18, But Jesus, aware of their malice, and he said, um, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him his denarius, brought him a denarius. So there was no hesitation, no argument, anything. They're like, okay, he's going to pick. We got him. But again, they weren't paying attention. Verse 20, and Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? So like, who's on the coin? Whose name is on there? Again, we have two different sides. The Pharisees don't like that. Herodians like it. That's their purpose. That's their, their, uh, their role in everything that's going on. They said, Caesar's. I was like, that's a simple question. It, that, it, that's Caesar. That's his inscription. Basically, on our uh, American money now, we always see what? In God we trust, right? So in the same way, on the coins or the money for Caesar, it's pretty much in Caesar we trust. Caesar was their God. At least that's what was pushed upon the people. So when they said Caesar's, then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. One of the things that we need to, whoops, drop my water. One of the things that we need to see in and through this is why is God saying this? Why is God teaching us this? Why is Jesus saying these things? 
Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Now, one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts is when people say, okay, things that are political, we have to separate from things that are of God. Oh, that's separation of church and state. I would say you are greatly mistaken and misinformed, and I would encourage you to educate yourself on that subject. That is not what this scripture is teaching. Not at all. There's never a separation. There's never a separation of what I do in the flesh doesn't affect what I do in the spirit. There's a whole group of people in the New Testament and Old Testament that thought that. It was false. That's saying, I can go live in sin, and as I live in sin in the flesh, that doesn't affect my spirit over here that belongs to God. No, God says, I want all of you. Your whole being. Understanding of that within itself should answer a lot of questions for our own personal walks in our faith. We cannot separate our flesh from our spirit. We cannot separate our actions. We cannot separate our political ideas, our political thoughts. Our reasoning cannot be separated from God. We belong to God. If you are a believer, if you are truly saved in Christ and in Christ alone as your Lord and your Savior, then you belong to him. He is your master. He owns you. You've been bought for a price. And that price was the cross, was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must truly understand what this verse, this passage is teaching us. Ultimately, the question of the Pharisees and, and the Herodians backfired on them. They, they thought they had, um, had Jesus in some type of a trap. They had ensnared him, but it backfired on them. Jesus' answer shows them that the believer has a dual citizenship. We have a dual citizenship. One of the things that I've preached on um, even a few times from our, my, my past uh, message about um, Christian living and looking at that and then even before that in our previous um, sermon series is heavenly thinking, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. But what Jesus is saying here, we have a dual citizenship. The believer is responsible to obey and financially support human government. Okay, the believer is responsible to obey and financially support human government. I'm not done. We should not speak. We should not speak evil of our rulers or work to overthrow them with riots, protests, so on and etc. We are called to pray for them. We are called to pray for them. So if you're a Christian and you're speaking evil against our president, against our governor, against our mayor, you are sinning. You are living in sin. There's been past presidents that I did not like whatsoever. They did horrible things for the church and the Christian people, but I prayed for them. I tried to pray daily. Not evil things, 
Yes, I, I, I communicate my, uh, my disgust with some things, my things that I don't agree with, right? But we're going to get to that in a moment. But if you're a Christian and you speak evil against the leaders that we have, you live in sin. Why is that? Romans 13. Turn me to Romans 13. Romans 13, verses 1 through through 4. You may think, well, Pastor Raph, I don't think, no, listen, we're going to get there. I'm going to walk you through a bunch of scripture and show you what God tells us. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that, what? And those that, sorry. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Hmm. Interesting. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So this is what the rulers should be doing, right? Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Also for the sake of conscience. Now, we need to understand this tells us there are authorities placed above us by God to keep law and order. Okay? If someone resists arrest and attacks a police officer and the police officer respond with what? With the way that they're trained to respond and you don't like that. As a Christian, that doesn't make sense. They don't get me wrong. There are corrupt police officers, but it's a very small percentage. Do we need to do a better job? Absolutely. But right now, what's going on in our culture is Law and order is not good. We don't want it. Let's get rid of law and order. As a Christian, how can you even fathom such a response? That should never even be a thought that you have in your mind for the simple point of this. God calls us to seek righteousness. Law and order. The thing is, we must understand that God puts these people in place. He's like, look, if you do something wrong, the wrath is going to come. There's consequences. Do good, do right. And I know some of us are thinking, well, there's, there's people that are put in place that are bad. I understand. I'm going to get to that in a moment. As a citizen of heaven, we are to obey God. So we have a dual citizenship. So yes, chapter 13 of Romans, we need to submit to these governing authorities. 
you know what, I'm, I don't think I have it on my notes, but I'm going to mention it here. I'm going to reference Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6, okay? Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6. I encourage you guys as homework to, to look more in depth in that. I'm going to reference it, okay? But listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, right, went in, took these Jewish people, right, people of Israel, they took them into captivity, okay? Then who do we look at first in Daniel chapter 3, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? A lot of us know this at the fiery furnace. But what happened first is he took them into captivity, okay? As they're taken into captivity and they're put there, they are seen as a certain favor, okay? So their lives are spared, so on and so forth. I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but as Nebuchadnezzar puts them into this position, then they begin to have these feasts. And they're like, wait a second, we can't eat this food. Like, you need to eat it. We can't, this violates our faith. It's like, it doesn't matter. You're now subjects of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, "Ah, we can't. So they got up, jumped on the tables, and started fighting people. No, right? They began to have a conversation. They're like, look, we won't eat this. We'll eat nothing but vegetables. You eat whatever you want, and we'll see after a certain period of time who can do what, right? They're like, okay, that's fine. They went through it. God showed them. God lifted them up. They prevailed, right? All these different things. But what happened? Like, you know what? We're going to throw you in the fiery furnace, but they stuck to what God's law was. They did not give down. They did not bow down to this false ruler. Even though God allowed it to happen, Israel, what? What did they do? They sinned. They were turned from God. So then God allowed these things to happen to them, took them into captivity. And now what? But they still stayed true to God's law. And as they stayed true to God's law, they had consequences by King Nebuchadnezzar. And then they were thrown in the fiery furnace. And they were what? They prevailed from that. They were saved from that. Huge testimony. Then we jump over to Daniel chapter 6, right? New king, Belshazzar. King Belshazzar was tricked by people that didn't like Daniel because Daniel, what, had favor, right? And he was one of the, 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 the highest um, Santars. I forget the name that it was called, but it was a governing, they were in a governing position over land and people and different things, and they reported to the king, and they watched over certain things for the king. And so as he did that, right? They're like, we're going to do this image of you, king, and everyone needs to bow to you and and worship you during these times, because what Daniel was doing, three times a day, he would pray out on his balcony. And they made this to entrap Daniel. And Daniel's like, I'm not going to worship that image. So he kept going and praying like he should pray in his worship to God. King, look what's happening. Your favorite Hates you. He's rising up against you. He's one of those exiles, right? Go arrest him. Threw him in the lion's den. Again, God spared him. Great testimony. 
We know these stories, but do we understand that these corrupt rulers, even though God allowed them to to be in place and to take them into captivity, they still subjected themselves to what? Honoring God. This is what we need to understand. Our dual citizenship, yes, we are citizens here. We are citizens in heaven. We are to obey the rulers that God has put in place. We are to pray for them. We are not to speak evil against them. We are not to do evil against them. We are to pray. Our citizenship in heaven, we need to obey God. If there is ever a conflict between the two, the believer is to be loyal to God above all else. Above all else. We are to be loyal to God above all else. Well, I don't like this person. It doesn't matter what you like and don't like. What does God's word say? Well, they look funny. It doesn't matter. They look funny. Well, they talk bad about these people group. And I have friends that are part of that people group. So I'm offended. Jesus, we know you don't care about people's opinions. We know you teach truth. And truth about God. Do you care more about honoring God? Or people? Is our loyalty to our friends, our family, our social media, our emotions greater than our loyalty to God? You must answer that question. Are you going to be a bow down Christian? Are you going to bow down before the king? Or are you going to honor God? Are you going to bow down before your emotions? Or are you going to honor God? Are you going to bow down because of your political beliefs? Are you going to bow down because of your identity as a, as a woman, as a man, as a liberal, as a progressive, as a conservative? Are you going to bow down because you're, you're Hispanic, because you're Asian, because you're white, because you're brown, because you're pink, because you're purple? Are you going to bow down because of those things? Or are you going to stand for righteousness as a Christian? We can see in Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6 that God's chosen do not bow down to any of these things. Even when faced eye to eye with death. See, that's the thing right now. We're, we're blessed. I've been in a lot of different countries. A lot. And I'm not boasting about that. I actually feel blessed that I've been able to be in, have been in so many different countries. But one of the things with comfort and blessings is we get complacent. And there are times, and it's interesting because I know a group of pastors that actually pray for the, for the persecution of the Western church because we've gotten so comfortable. And look at where it's gotten us. They're like, come on, God, bring, bring it on. Bring the persecution of the church to the United States. Bring it. We need it. 
We need to start separating the sheep and the goats. We need to start separating the wheat from the chaff. We need to see who the true believers are. Thing is, is that ultimately necessary? Can we simply just adhere adhere to God's word and live it out? Thing is, as we continue to allow the world to push and prod upon us, and we give in, and we give in, and we give in, we must understand that when it's time to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, we give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus saw this. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to turn you there, but Jesus sees, goes through all this in Matthew 17. I think it's up there. Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. And he needs to pay taxes. And they're like, we're going to pay these taxes? And he's like, go catch a fish. Look in its mouth. There you go. Leave me alone. Thing is, we need to understand. But above all of what is most important, we need to give to God what is God's. We need to give to God what is God's. And what is that? I'm going to tell you from my viewpoint how I interpret Scripture and how I've been applying my political views and where I stand on things. You know, there's, there's a couple main concerns that I have that we can see very clearly in Scripture. There's a lot more that's up for debate be above and beyond this. There's a lot of gray area. Um, and it's interesting because I, I had this encounter with this pastor who was much older than me. And, and as we were engaging on, on some different things such as this, and I told him this, I go, look, there's two things that I must stand for that I am so convicted on is this, is the preservation of life. The preservation of life. Abortion is murder. There's more aborted babies in this country than all these other uh, COVID or other diseases that are killing people. There's so many aborted deaths that are going on daily in this country, and it's sickening. And as Christians, we should stand for life. There's a reason why we looked at 139 and it says, God, you knew me before I was anything. You knitted me in my mother's womb. You knew everything before I was even conceived. You knew me. Thing is, is that there's one political party out there that believes that we can abort babies even at birth. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. It, 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 it turns my stomach to even think about it. Yes, I, I, I've, I've read things and I've watched things and I've engaged in different conversations. But I can remember when, when Diane was going through her medical rotations and one of her um, classmates came and stayed with us because she was doing a medical rotation in the area that we were at. And she had just, she was finishing up, finishing up a time at a Plant Parenthood and then she was not a believer at, it, at all. But after being part of these abortions, she was completely like, she was traumatized. 
I don't want to go into graphic detail, but I encourage you to educate yourself on this. It doesn't matter how much someone offends you or the way that they look or the way that they talk or they, they might have done this or they might have done that, but when is it okay to kill a baby? When? Answer that question. Is it ever okay? The other thing that I stand on is the preservation of marriage. God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. If this offends you, I don't apologize because this is scripture. This is something that I am not making up. It's not my opinion. This is not a political viewpoint. This is what God's word says. We must never compromise. Above all, and most important, we must never compromise. If you're like Pastor Raph, you're getting a little worked up. Good, because I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about God's word. If one party said, okay, look, we're going to change and we're going to support this, it's fine. Then I will support that. To me, it's not about the label. It's not about being a Republican. It's not about being a Democrat. It's not about being an independent. It's not about being a progressive. It's not about being Hispanic. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's not about any of those things. It's your identity in Christ. But Pastor Raph, I have a sister, I have a brother, my best friend. I don't care. I don't. When it comes to this, I, 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 I don't. Now, I care at the point of, yes, compassion for the lost, and we need to save them, yes. But when it comes to this, it's it not. Why? Because Jesus says this, unless you hate your brother and your mother, your uncle, your best friend, or whoever you want to put into the blank, you cannot be my disciple basically putting Jesus first and foremost above all else. It's like, okay, I belong to you. I don't own you, Jesus. You own me. And you call me how I am to live my life. And I submit myself to that. And I, and I tell each and every one of you here today, I am not perfect at this. There's convictions that I have that I suppress. There are things that I read in Scripture that, yeah, maybe I don't want to apply this part of Scripture. I struggle with that too. I might really dislike being hypocrites, but there's times I'm a hypocrite myself. It's interesting because I, I, I used to have conversations with people and they're like, you know what, I, this whole Christianity thing, I don't like it because they're a bunch of hypocrites and, I'm, and I try to defend it. And I realized, like, why am I defending it? Now when people say that they're a bunch of hypocrites, and I go, yeah, we are. We are. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, we're a bunch of hypocrites. But you know who's not? Jesus. He's not. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never fail me. One of the things we must completely grasp upon, uh, above all these other things is what truly has been done on the cross and the life that God calls us to live. We must never compromise. In Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel himself or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you never saw a compromise. 
Well, maybe if we just ate one shellfish, one oyster, then, you know, would that appease you? Would that be okay? I mean, I think, you know, God will forgive me for that. Well, maybe if Daniel said, well, Lord, instead of kneeling and praying to you, I'm just going to stand and I'm just going to kind of pray to myself because I don't want to get in trouble. I know you don't want me to get in trouble, so is that okay? You should not compromise. Some of the things I hear is like, well, who do I vote for? Well, I'm going to vote for this guy because he's the lesser of two evils. And then my response is this. Oh, you like voting for evil? It doesn't make any sense. There's no lesser of two evils. Thing is, is we need to understand this is who best represents God. There's never a perfect man. The president is not going to save us. Okay, Jesus is going to return someday. We're going to have to give an account and we can't say, but I voted for this person. No, we will be held accountable for our actions that goes with who are we siding with. One of the things we need to understand with voting, it's a representation. Who am I voting to represent me? You can't think of, well, I'm just one of millions and millions of this and that and the electoral college and this. No, who are we placing our lot with to represent us? Who? This person's going to represent me. 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 It's not about because of my political affiliation. It's because of my eternal affiliation is why I cast my lot the way that I cast it. That is why. These two things, the preservation of life and the preservation of marriage, are at the forefront of what I look at. What I look like, constantly. I sit down with people running for office and I talk with them. Some know I'm a pastor, some don't. I don't tell them. I don't like to be treated different because of my my position. I'm just a, a sheep, just like you, trying to do the best I can to be faithful. But we must stand and pursue righteousness. As Herodians said, we must have peace at any cost. And at any cost tells you there are no limitations to the, to the point of what they're willing to go to for them to get peace for them. Because if the Romans are happy, then they're happy. If the Romans aren't happy, then they're not happy. Thing is, in our own way, we need to understand, wow, I don't want to upset these people. So I want peace at all costs. At all costs, I want peace in my life. And we think for some reason appeasing people is going to give us peace. The thing is, the only peace that we can ever have is in Christ. And if we're trying to appease people and not God, we will never have that peace. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. We should never compromise. Let's continue. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do we understand the impact? The impact of our choices. We have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of the United States of America. I don't care about true citizenships or green cards or any of that. If you are here, you are here. But we must understand, ultimately, as believers, our citizenship that tops everything else is our heavenly citizenship. Our heavenly citizenship. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or the apostles or Cephas or the world or, or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. We belong to Christ. We belong to God. No matter how smart, how cunning as we saw with the Pharisees and Herodians. It's all foolishness to God. It's nothing compared to him. Going back in our text, verse 22, we see the response of the Pharisees and the Herodians. When they heard it, they marveled. Hmm. Look up that word marveled. Okay, look it up. Dig into it a little bit. And this is how they responded. Those that were trying to kill Jesus ultimately, to get rid of him, conspiring against him. And they left him and went away. And they left him and went away. 
we must understand that we must give God what is God's and Caesar what is Caesar's. We got to pay taxes. We got to pay taxes. Understand. I know there's a lot of gray areas and different things or what is our money being used for and this and that. And you know what? The Romans did a lot of horrific things, a lot of unbiblical things. Okay. There you go. There's your taxes, whatever. But when it comes to godly things, we don't give them that. Oh, do you want to cross into our faith? You want to tell us what we are to believe, what we are to be okay with? No. No. It's not going to happen. That's why churches that are finally standing up to the governor, they're like, look, we understand. We don't, we don't believe a lot of what you say and this and that, and we, we think it's, it's horrible, but we pray for you. We submit to this, but now you're saying we can't come together in fellowship and worship? No. If we choose to do that, we choose to do that. You are not going to keep us from worshiping God. You're not. Lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. They're still meeting, still worshiping. It's unfortunate in some states they've arrested pastors. But see, here's the thing. We must give God what is God's. We must give God what is God's. But Pastor Raph, we can just stay at home and we can be safe. There are so many Christian friends that I have, they're like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You shouldn't meet. You shouldn't this. You shouldn't that. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like God's word says this. Like, well, God will understand. Like, who are you to say what God understands or doesn't apart from Scripture? Scripture says we are to meet. We are to fellowship. We are to congregate. Do you think that the common cold didn't kill millions of people back in these times? The common cold. Do you think all these little minuscule things that are nothing to us now didn't kill thousands of people? Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be unsympathetic or smart or different things. We try to be as respectful as we can and to be safe. Um, but in all this, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to submit to his rule, to his law, to what he calls me to do as a Christian, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a man of God. I will not compromise. So when the Pharisees and the Herodians heard this and they lost and they couldn't really say anything to Jesus, they basically lost the battle. They marveled. But how about you? You see scripture, you see God's word. People responded in times just like this. Are you marveling? Are we allowing the convictions to sanctify us? Or are we so stuck, are we so hard-headed that we are not allowing God's word to penetrate our hearts and our minds to change our lives as God's word is meant to? 
I'm going to get to a closing passage here in a moment. But listen, if you are a believer, then you must submit. You must. We ask we always have choice. But God's word is God's word. And if we don't submit to his word, then we are sinning. We must submit to his rule. We must stop compromising God's word. We must stop watering it down, manipulating it, trying to shape and mold it to fit into our way of life, to shape and mold it into our emotions, to shape and mold it into the identities that we hold apart from Christ. And we all need to stop fighting. We need to stop fighting this spiritual battle with our flesh because that's what we're doing. We're fighting a battle that is spiritual in nature, but we're doing it with our flesh and we are failing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I know at the women's retreat, you guys looked at the full armor of God. I'm going to look at the little section right before that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in in an identity in your gender. Don't be strong in an identity in your ethnicity. Don't be strong in an identity in your beliefs for worldly things. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So pray, read God's word, pray some more, read God's word, pray some more, but we must stop being offended. Jesus didn't care about anyone's opinion or looks. He cared about the heart, cared about their eternity. We need to stop giving in to the world, the worldly views and stand for righteousness. It doesn't matter what you like or don't like. It matters what God likes and doesn't like. There are things that we need to understand in God's word that are commands us as believers. No logic, no reasoning, no excuse will ever, will ever 
be enough to compromise God's word. Understand our dual citizenship. Yes, we are citizens of this earth. On this earth. We have authorities that are above us, whether we like them or not. We are called to pray for them. But we must give God what is God's. This is our identity. Is in Christ. Nothing else. It doesn't matter how many text messages that I get saying, the Latino vote, go, be part of the Latino vote, go do this, go do that. And I even get them for Diane. Miss Diane Renteria, get the Latino vote out there. And I'm like, my wife's not Latino. She's not. She's Asian. And uh, sometimes I respond to those political text messages, have a little fun. Sometimes I don't. But my point is this. We must understand our dual citizenship. and We must understand that our, our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to God. Even though we are citizens here, and we need to figure out how to live here in a way that we are what? Aliens, right? We are not of this world. We now belong to God. But understanding that, as we live that life, there's nothing that can come in to pull us away from God. There should be nothing to come in and rip us away from the commands that God gives us in and through his word. This is why I always hold up my Bible and say we need to have a biblical worldview where we view everything, everything, politics, religion, yeah, religion, friends, everything. Through God's word, we have to. We have to. So please, see God's word for what it is. Understand the commands that God gives us and ultimately submit to his rule above all else. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, we come before you as unworthy people. Lord, we understand that you are in control of all things. We understand that you are above all things. But Lord, we submit ourselves to you. In and through you, we have our identity. In and through you, we pursue righteousness. And in and through you, we live our lives ultimately to point others to you and worship you in all that we do. Lord, forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings. You know that we are not perfect, but your grace is enough. Thank you for loving us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.